Awesome, great, good to be here tonight. Uh, in fact, I got given a, um, a, blank, a blank slate for tonight. Uh, we're not in a series, and so uh, I could pick whatever I wanted, uh, which, is, which is a bit of a dangerous thing, I guess, when it, when it comes to me. Um, but I thought what we could do, uh, or what I'd love to do, actually, is, is be sort of really orthodox. Uh, we're here to see Jesus. It's our, it's our heart. Uh, it's the very reason we gather to, to know Jesus, uh, to uh, have a sense of his call on our lives and to follow him with everything we have. So I thought we might just um, pick a chapter from the Gospel uh, of John. Uh, this one is one that is particularly, uh, ha- has impacted me. Uh, it's a picture of Jesus that is uh, uh, very deep, very, uh, very layered. So I thought uh, we could go through that um, um, together and uh, with the expectation that God is wanting to reveal himself in Jesus to us, uh, to get a glimpse of who Jesus is in, uh, in, in a deeper way and for that to prompt a response uh, from us. So we might jump straight in. This is uh, John 7, uh, 37 to 44. <clears throat> this is what it says. On the last day of the festival, uh, this is the Feast of Tabernacles, by the way. Uh, it's a festival that the Jews are celebrating. Uh, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit which believers in him were to receive. For as yet, there was no spirit because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some in the crowd said, this is really the prophet. Others said, this is the Messiah. But some asked, surely the Messiah does not come from Galilee, does he? Has not the scripture said that the Messiah is descended from David and comes from Bethlehem? the village where David lived. So there was a division in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. What we see here is a, a portrait of Jesus, a, uh, uh, an event where Jesus, um, which is actually quite typical. We, we, see, we see Jesus do this a a fair bit, um, put himself in a situation where he is making a claim, making a statement about who he is, and it prompts or it, it elicits a response uh, from people, from the crowd. And this one in particular elicits quite a, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, a, I was going to say modge podge, I don't even know if that's a word, but just anyway, uh, 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 di- differing views effectively. And uh, it's quite fascinating because part of it's about uh, the, the, the place where he's born. Uh, here they say uh, that, you know, it can't, he can't be because he, he comes from Galilee and the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee. Uh, he, he should come from Bethlehem. And as the readers, we know Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So it's sort of ironic. But it's actually weird as well because just before this passage, uh, in fact, we read that, the, the crowd saying, um, 
don't the scriptures tell us that, that we don't know where the Messiah is going to come from? And then all of a sudden they're saying, no, he's meant to come from Bethlehem. So there's just a lot of confusion, uh, particularly about uh, Jesus' uh, town of origin or, or region of origin, uh, perhaps in modern terms, state of origin. Um, I'm a dad, so I can do that. Um, <clears throat> but I want to look at what, what elicits this, uh, this response from, uh, from the crowd? What is it that Jesus is wanting to reveal? And, and I'm not gonna lie, we are gonna deep dive um, tonight. There's two things in particular that I wanna look at. So, so perhaps um, uh, as I just outline what these two things are, keep this in your mind because uh, uh, if you get lost, just know that th- these are the two things I'm really talking about. One is I wanna look at what exactly the Feast of Tabernacles was uh, what is this feast where on, on the greatest day of the feast, Jesus is standing up and making this statement? So what is the Feast of Tabernacles? And then I want to look at um, within this feast, within this festival, there's a particular ritual that is the high point of, of the festival. And it's called the, the water drawing ritual where they, the, the priest draws water out uh, from a pool, the Pool of Siloam, which is, which is in the lower part of Jerusalem, uh, and he carries it to the temple. So these are two things I wanna look at. If at some point you're just like, I'm, I'm completely lost here, uh, it, it will come out the other end, okay? Uh, just, stick, just stick with me. So the Feast of Tabernacles, this is, uh, in fact, uh, in, in uh, the constitution of Israel as a people, when God makes his covenant with them, he, he draws them out of Egypt, uh, he saves them, uh, takes them through the Red Sea, and, uh, and then they're, they're, they find themselves in the wilderness. Uh, God actually gives them a set of seven festivals for them to, um, uh, to perform, to celebrate, to participate in, which will reveal to them more and more of who God is uh, to them. And this Feast of Tabernacles is actually the, the final feast in the, in the Jewish calendar year. It's the last one, so the seventh of seven. And it's a seven-day feast. Uh, and um, <clears throat> what's, what's at the heart of it, actually, is uh, a remembering and, and particularly a rejoicing. Uh, that's, what, that's what it says in Leviticus. This is to be a festival of rejoicing of how God has drawn the people uh, out of slavery, out of Egypt, and, uh, and provided for them while they're in the wilderness. Now, they're in the wilderness, there's no food, there's no water, and yet God is providing for them. And so they're to remember this reality of God's provision. Uh, particularly, it's called the Feast of Tabernacles because effectively over seven days, they're meant to recall the fact that they didn't have proper houses while they were moving through the wilderness and they just had these makeshift sort of tents and uh, uh, booths or, or, or like little tabernacles. And for these seven days, they actually do that. So they don't live in their, in their um, usual homes in these seven days. They actually create these little tent-like structures made out of um, branches and uh, uh, a whole heap of uh, greenery. And then they live and cook and do life within these things for seven days. Uh, what it's meant to, to, to bring about in them is 
is a reminder of, of their humble beginnings, of, of the humility of heart that was so reliant on God and just knew that everything that they were, everything that, uh, that, that uh, the, the very reason that they, that they were, who they were even, uh, was defined by who God was and his provision and his saving work in their lives. And so this festival is, is a reflection on the way that God has saved them in the past, uh, but particularly it came to be known as um, uh, a reflection on that through uh, his provision of water. So, so while uh, when they came out of Egypt, they were saved through water. When they were in the wilderness, God provided water for them in the rock uh, multiple times. And so, it, yes, it's provision in, in general, but in this festival, water is particularly um, important for them. Uh, and it's also, in the calendar year, the last, the, the festival that comes right before the rainy season. So they're looking back on the, on the season that's been on the harvest and, and uh, all that the, the previous rains have brought about, the life that they've brought about. And now they're looking forward to the coming raining season and, they, and they, they're effectively putting themselves in God's hands humbly and going, you're the one who provides for us. You send the rains. Without your rain, without your very presence, without your person, we do not have anything. This is what the Festival of Tabernacles is meant to, to bring up. So a reflection on God's past faithfulness, but also a sense of present need uh, and then expectation for the future. This isn't just some cyclical thing that, uh, you know, every year is going to be the same and uh, there, it's not moving towards something. There's a real sense of expectation that uh, what God is doing, what, where God is taking them is for a final completion, a final revelation of who he is, where all things are set right. And so there's this sense of expectation as well. There's a lot of rejoicing uh, in this feast. So God saved them from dying of thirst in the wilderness. He provided rain to heal the land and bring forth crops. Uh, they have a sense that they need him, but, but whether they acknowledge that or not, uh, even when they don't um, um, or, or, or acknowledge the fact that, uh, they're in, that they're in God's hands and they need God's provision, uh, God continues to be committed to bringing them back into his provision and the reality of who he is. Uh, so much so, there's a lot of passages that, that talk about this, particularly in regard to God's provision of water for them in different scenarios. Uh, but I'll just read one of them, Nehemiah, uh, chapter nine, verses 15 to 17, perfectly encapsulates this, this picture of what God is doing and, and what he's wanting to reveal of himself. <clears throat> this is what he says, Nehemiah. For their hunger, you, speaking of God, gave them bread from heaven, and for their thirst, you brought water for them out of the rock, and you told them to go in to possess the land that you swore to give them. That's the sense of, of the expectation of, of what God's calling them um, into. But they and our ancestors acted presumptuously and stiffened their necks and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their necks and determined to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And you did not forsake them. 
This is the, the reality that uh, the Feast of Tabernacles is, is, um, is layering all of Israel's history into a revelation that God is wanting to be their provision. Uh, in fact, the covenant that God instituted with Israel uh, actually says that, that promises that, that rains will come if Israel's obey the covenant, the words of God. Uh, this is in, in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. But conversely, it says that sin will produce drought. And so this is part of the fabric, part of the consciousness of the Jewish people. And the Feast of Tabernacles captures this. It, it, it's a dedicated time to remember and rejoice in God's past provision to remember his future plan, that he, that he hasn't forsaken them, he hasn't given up, he's still working for that very purpose. So in the present, they bring themselves to ensure that they're aligned with who he is and his plans and purposes. Uh, there's, there's actually this sense of a constant learning that's happening for, for the Israelite people, that, that God is their provider. In fact, it's, it's incredible because as um, God gives them a, a king, uh, King David, and as David uh, founds the, uh, the, the city of Jerusalem, the place where the temple of God is gonna be built, where his presence is gonna reside, uh, the very fact that they uh, build the city uh, where, where Jerusalem stands is a testament to their trust in God. Now, uh, there is an image actually uh, Lockie, if you, if you can pull that image up now, that'd be great, of, of what Jerusalem looks like. At the top is, is the temple, and it's, and it's this city that sort of um, comes down the hill uh, and ends right at, right at the bottom of the hill. But uh, that, there's a cross section there, but really what it is is the wall sort of comes a, a, around the ridges. So it's, it's, it's an incredibly hard place for an enemy army to come against. Uh, uh, it, it's, it's virtually impregnable. You can't... Uh, uh, come against them with brute force because it's actually, you just expend so much trying. You can't set up siege walls, you know, up the, um, up the whole mountain. And so the, um, it, it seems like it'd be such a great place to, to build a city. The only problem is that nowhere on top of that mountain is there provision uh, for water. And so to, to set yourself up there on this hill uh, and, and wall yourself in is, is great in terms of no one can sort of get in. But if anyone were to set up a siege and just lock you in there, uh, you would definitely die of thirst. There's, there's no provision of water. And so the very picture of the city of Jerusalem where, where God uh, establishes his temple uh, and, and uh, establishes the, 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 the kingdom of um, of, of um, of David, it, it requires a trust in God to provide specifically uh, water for them uh, if they are to come under attack. So there's, there's this, this, this learning, right, uh, this, this sense that they are dependent on God. Now, there is a spring that is just outside of the city which has extremely important significance for the, for the Jewish people, uh, particularly for, for David. This spring, uh, in fact, is the only reason why 
um, ancient Jerusalem could be a place where people could dwell. Uh, they needed a water source and they found it in this Gihon Spring, which is sort of on the mountainside, outside, just outside of the city walls. And it's actually such a, there's such a sense that it's God who is providing this water that when, when Solomon is gonna become king, when, when David uh, calls him, uh, calls Nathan the, the prophet and Zadok the priest to, um, to, to anoint him, he says, go to the Gihon Spring and anoint him there. There's this sense that, that, is, that the, the, the very waters that are coming there is evidence of the presence of God with his people and that is where his anointing is, that's, that's where his, his spirit uh, really is. That, that, that's really what the sense is here for, for the Jewish people. And so it's, it's, it's this highly symbolic um, place uh, uh, where, where this water is provided that, that's also tangible evidence. It's not just symbolism, it's tangible evidence of God's provision, of, of the presence of God, of his, of his life-giving spirit, the spirit that brings life, the, the, the water that brings, that brings life. And so what we come to see is that the whole um, Israelite, the whole Jewish identity is founded on God being present with them, on God providing for them. And this is what's captured in this feast of tabernacles, the provision of water, the, 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 the revelation of God's presence, of, of God's uh, nearness to them. And the prophets are actually constantly drawing attention to this reality. In fact, there's a time in, uh, in, is, in Judah's history where, where they're, they're um, seeking to um, find security through political alliances with other natures, uh, nations, with, um, with Egypt and, and with Assyria. And um, it's, it's, it's this, this betrayal of, of trusting that their security is in God that Isaiah actually speaks into. And this is what he says. It's, it's fascinating in Isaiah chapter eight, verses six to, six, six to eight, because he uses the, the, the spring, the, the waters of, of um, Shiloh, which is actually um, Siloam, the, the, the waters that come from the Gihon spring, as a way of showing how they've abandoned God. This is what he says. Um, because this people has refused the waters of Siloam that, that come from the Gihon spring, that flow gently, and because they melt in fear before Rezin and the son of Remaliah, therefore the Lord is bringing up against it the mighty flood waters of the river, the king of Assyria, and all his glory. It will rise above all its channels and overflow all its banks. It will sweep on into Judah as a flood and pouring over will reach up to the neck and outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land. Oh, Emmanuel. Incredible picture of a flood where, 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 where things are not going well, where people are turning away from who God is uh, he's sending his water, it's, it, it's still providing in a sense, but it's come to remove what is wrong, remove the heart that is set against God that doesn't wanna rely on him for, for his provision. He, it's a handing over to uh, the, the king of Assyria, which is described as this flood. But there's this beautiful cry 
that Isaiah has at the end of this passage. He says, oh, Emmanuel. And if you know uh, uh, the, the, the story of Jesus' birth, uh, Emmanuel is the very name that, that it says he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so the, the, even though Isaiah is saying that, that, that this, this, this tragedy will happen, uh, he's crying out for God's presence, the very reality of God himself to be near. Incredible thing happens, actually, shortly after this prophecy. Uh, the king, king Hezekiah uh, comes to the throne, and uh, through a series of events, he ends up uh, humbling himself uh, and, and repents from his and Judah's uh, past decisions to secure themselves, to um, provide for themselves through other nations. And he makes a decision that they're gonna rely on God's provision to save them. And, and this is what's fascinating though. He, he takes Isaiah's words of, you know, Isaiah's using this idea of the Gihon spring and them um, abandoning the, the, the springs, refusing the springs, rejecting the springs as an image of them rejecting the very presence of God, the provision of God. And so what Hezekiah does is he goes, okay, I've, I've, we've got to turn back. We've got, to, we've got to receive from God. We've got to open up to his provision. So he literally goes to the Gihon Spring. It, um, Lucky, could you put that image up again? He goes to this Gihon Spring that is just outside the walls of Jerusalem. And what he does is he, he, gets, he gets these... Um, uh, for lack of a better word, that obviously they weren't called this at the time, but engineers effectively to build a tunnel manually, you know, without a tunnel boring machine. And from, from where it says the Gihon Spring there on the right-hand side, for, a, for just over half a kilometre, they, they dig this tunnel, uh, one starting from one end and another on the other end. No one even knows how they managed to meet in the middle. But, but anyway, he, he has this sense that that, this is what it looks like for us to rely on God again, is, is to receive his water. And what he does is he builds this pool at the bottom of Jerusalem, and this tunnel feeds the water of the Gihon Spring into this pool, and that's the Pool of Siloam, which is, which is at the bottom there of, of the city of Jerusalem, within the city walls. And now we come full circle, right? So, so we're, we're, we've talked about the Pool of Siloam and the Pool of Siloam is important uh, because in the Feast of Tabernacles, there is this ritual. Uh, that's the high point of the festival. It's, 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 the, it's the climax, if you will, of this festival. And what, what happens is the priest comes from, from, the, from the Temple Mount all the way at the top of the city and walks all the way down to the Pool of Siloam. While he's doing this, it's an incredible, incredible sight. In fact, everyone who witnesses to what happens here is, is just completely uh, transformed even by this whole event. There's tens of thousands of people. People are cheering as, as the priest makes his way down to the water. Uh, people are waving um, um, palm branches and, and, and a whole heap of greenery, which is, which is evidence, really, that, of the fact that uh, God has provided water. That's why there is greenery. Do you know, there's, it's, it's, it's complete rejoicing. Uh, they're, they're just, they're, they're, there's trumpets blaring. 
Uh, people are just waiting in expectancy for this water that the priest is coming down to collect. And he, and he, and he has this, this golden pitcher, this golden cup, and he puts it into the water and he gathers water. And while he's doing that, this is what they recite from Isaiah 12, 3. It says this, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. It's a beautiful picture. There's an expectancy here that, that, that what they're drawing from is God's very presence, is God's very provision. And so people are celebrating, they're, they're expecting for, for something that's to come. There's a, there's a real understanding that, that this isn't just a ritual, but there's something that it's pointing towards. They're thirsty for something more. They're thirsty for God to come through again, to bring salvation from drought, yes. To bring salvation from exile again, yes. But ultimately, final salvation from all that is wrong in the world and in themselves, to take the whole world to a place where it acknowledges that God is king and he is the provider where all nations come under him and go, you are the provider and receive from him all that he has. So what the priest does is he, is he gets this water and he goes all the way up to the temple and then he comes before the altar and he doesn't pour it on the altar, he actually pours it just to the south of the altar, which is, which is towards uh, the, the, the entrance of the, back towards the entrance of the temple going out of the temple and, and it, would, it would be as if it trickles out of the temple down uh, towards the rest of the city. And, and, and what's going on there is this layering of expectation because it's the very prophecy that Ezekiel has of, 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 the, of the final culmination of what God has planned, which is this river that, that starts as a trickle from the temple of God, but that becomes a mighty stream that flows through all of the world and brings restoration, brings healing, brings the provision of God for all people. Zechariah actually talking about this very same festival says that on that day, that's the, 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 the final culmination that this festival is pointing towards, on that day, living water shall flow out from Jerusalem and the Lord will become king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. There's an incredible climax here that the people are waiting in expectation for and rejoicing actually because it's as if they know that God will do it. It's rejoicing. There's an expectation for water and the temple to characterize the final setting right of the world. As I, as I was reading uh, uh, around this festival and, and the rejoicing that takes place here, um, uh, the more I read about it, the less I felt like I could, I could explain to you what this rejoicing is. It's not just some sort of put on rejoicing or, or some sort of facade. This is actually what one of the, uh, one of the Jewish writers in, in the Mishnah, which is a Jewish text, writes of this celebration, of this water drawing ceremony. He says, he who has not seen the rejoicing at the water drawing ceremony has never, seen rejoicing in his life. That's huge. 
like, I, 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 I don't even know how to, how to, how to explain what, what that might be. You know, th- this, is, this is the top of, of their bucket list, the, the experience of, of the joy, the expectation of God bringing about what he has promised. It's this unforgettable thing that pilgrims from all across the known world at the time, uh, Jews, come uh, perhaps only ever once in their lifetime to experience this very festival, and they come away looking back for the rest of their lives on this moment. And so we see that this Feast of Tabernacles and particularly this water-drawing ritual is synonymous with, with joy, with expectation of God's presence. So the whole feast really is, is a reminder that God has saved them uh, from numerous wilderness experiences as they've, as they've come to him, as they've gone away from him, they've been brought back. God provided water in the desert. It's a celebration of the rain that God has provided in the year that's passed that has, that has evidenced in the harvest which they've just reaped. But now in this pool of water and in this ritual, there is a tangible representation of God's provision. The water is there. And this, this idea of God's presence through the symbolism of the water is incorporated into this feast. It's a constant water source that comes from God. It's not only a reminder of all the times that God has come through for them, saved them, but, but it's also a call for them to call on God to keep providing for them in the future, to bring about the very thing that he intended. It's, it's joy-filled. It's a hopeful cry that God has done it before in the past and he will do it again in greater measure, culminating in the final completion of all things. Now with all of that in the background, will you imagine with me this this very festival, the the, the joy, the expectation that people are, are, are coming with for God to be present. Now imagine Jesus saying these very words, crying out, in fact, it says, in verses 37 and 38. Jesus was standing there. He cried out, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. And now as he does this, we're left with this conundrum of different people in different spaces, different, different walks of life, having to respond to this very statement, to the very presence of this person before them. And I've, I've outlined just three, but, but historically there would have been the, the, the Sadducees, uh, uh, th- these would have been people who, who don't even believe in, in the resurrection, don't believe in some final culmination of, of what God's doing. So they're creating these political alliances, ways of, of, of securing themselves in the present, making do the best that they can with what they have. They're not thirsty. They're not looking forward to an ultimate writing of all things. They're, they're just making the most of their lives in the present. They miss the very person 
of Jesus. The Pharisees uh, were in fact thirsty for God to make all things right. Uh, they're, they're very devout in that sense, but, but they saw themselves as right and the rest of the world as wrong. They saw themselves as the standard and they would put weights and burdens on other people and say, you've got to fit in with where we're at. You've got to enter in to where we are and then things will be right. It's not up to us, it's, it's everyone else that needs to sort themselves out. We've done our bit in a sense. Their, their, their thirst for God turned into a self-righteousness and a condemnation of all people who didn't live up to their standards. They saw themselves as standards of change. Uh, 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 they, they didn't see that they, in fact, needed to become humble and lowly and serve others in helping them know and trust in God. But there were many in the crowd who were thirsty, many who were marginalized, downtrodden, disabled, disillusioned. To many, their lives had become a burden to them with seeming, seemingly no hope of being restored and healed along with the world around them. These people were waiting in expectation for something, but they could not see what that would be. It's these that could begin to see Jesus for who he truly was as he stands up and cries out. These could receive him, the source of water, of life, of hope, the fulfillment of expectation, the one who came to give the life-giving spirit, the waters of life. These found that they had the right to be children of God. There's a picture here, perhaps, that um, there's these different types of people, but I, I think we can find in us a war happening uh, that, that, that perhaps we find elements of, of each of these things, what, maybe elements that seek to secure ourselves in the present, to find joy in the present apart from who God is. Maybe there's elements where, where, where we feel like we're in the right and it's other people who need to sort them out and that's not our responsibility. That's, that's, that's not up to us. And, and maybe there are. I, I truly believe this, that, they, that, that for each one here there is a hungering, a thirst, a true thirst to know fulfillment in Jesus, to know this very thing that he is speaking of, to know the presence of God. I was thinking how in a modern day scenario could, uh, could, could we picture something like this, this festival where, where Jesus stands up? Um, I, I'm racking my brain to try and find something that, that, that was, that was um, uh, Maybe universal for us, maybe something that, 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 we, would, that we would understand, but uh, it, it was very, very hard. Um, um, but, but I, you know, I, this, is a, this is a very poor, poor example, but, um, and, it, and, it, and it probably has nothing to do with, with, uh, with the season we're currently in. I don't, I don't really follow rugby league, so um, um, I'm not sure. But, but think, of, um, think of a state of origin, right? <clears throat> um, Think, think of a particular match where, where 
everything, your, your, all of your hopes are pinned on, right? In fact, your team winning will mean that for, for an instant, for a moment in time, everything will be right in the world. As your team wins, uh, things are okay, things are, go- things are going well. Maybe think of a past history of, of year after year after year, your team has lost and it's just at a point where, where you're despairing that they'll ever be able to come on top again. Uh, I, yeah, Queenslanders don't really know what that feels like, but, um, but, but just imagine, right, that, that there's a, there's a that maybe the match starts off and, and this is the decider and, and, and it starts off and, and you're just falling behind and it just looks like it's gonna be another one of those matches. Uh, defeat for another year, but, but things start to turn and, and, and there's a hope that starts to build in your heart that, that yes, this, is, this, this could happen. This could be the moment where everything changes. And as the match progresses, it, 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 your team gets closer and closer to the point where in the dying seconds of the game, if your team were to score a try and convert, that would mean that you, uh, uh, your, team is, it, your team wins, you're on top. And what happens in the dying seconds is, is, is perhaps your favorite player is, is running to the sideline and, and dives to, to score this try and just in, in the dying seconds of the game manages to, 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 um, to touch down right in the corner. And there's, there's hardly any time left. There's just time to make this conversion. There, there's, there's, there's a real tangible sense of hope, but, it, but it's not over yet. He's still got to convert this. And, and, but, but your hope, your expectation is just rising. You, there's a sense that this is gonna happen. It's it. You're there. And as you're watching, you see this person come up and they kick. And, and from the initial kick, you... you, you you sort of do, do you know, split second math and you go, this looks like it's physics, it's going, it's, it, this, is, this is it, it's, go, it's going in. And just as you're there, just ready, ready for, this, for this moment, uh, some guy just stands up in front, of, in front of the TV or in front of you and goes, I'm the guy, all of the joy that you're feeling right now, I'm the source of all of this. I don't know what your reaction would be, but I'm, but I'm sure that there would be some people here who would throw this guy off to the side and go, what is your problem, mate? It's a poor example, and, and, and the state of origin is nowhere near as righteous of a thing as this festival where people are looking uh, forward for the very presence of God in the world. But I think it gives a sense. It gives a sense of how maybe our hearts may be, may be opposed to, to Jesus as he comes to reveal himself, to give us all of who he is, to fulfill our every longing and desire in the presence of God might be met with something in our hearts that is opposed to him. Where are we getting our water from? Do we find ourselves knowing the provision of God in such a way that we know his very presence with us, in us? Are there things that we keep going back to for comfort, for joy, for security, for for rest? Do we find that we're content with these things? Are, are, Are we secure? 
Or do you find that you are thirsty? That if, you, if, you, if you're honest, you can say, no, I, I, I am, I, I'm thirsty to know this person, to receive who he is. To know that he is actually where all the springs of joy of life find their origin. That in him all things are being brought together to their completion. Maybe you even discern in your own heart that 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 is that is the truth. That that yes, I I do want that to be to be the reality, but but it's, it's as if I'm, I'm, I'm one step back from that. I, I'm, I know that I should be thirsty, but, but I, don't even, I don't even necessarily feel a, a real hungering and thirst, but, but I want to. I, I, I know that that's, that that's what's right. Maybe you find that struggle in, in a sense, um, and, and these, the examples I'm gonna give here, the, these are all examples pulled from my own life. It's not, don't, don't feel like I'm, I'm, I'm pointing people's fingers. I know these realities in my own life and that's where these are coming from. But maybe we find ourselves in a place where our favorite TV show or sport, um, we know more about that than we do the very life of Jesus, more than we know who Jesus really is. Maybe we find that we can rattle off more statistics, song lyrics or movie quotes, then we would be able to quote the very words of the Son of God. Maybe we, we tend to, to, to move uh, more towards a belief that we will find life in the next meal that we're looking forward to rather than on the very words that come to us from the mouth of God. Do we believe that all these things that we're chasing after will give us life. And if not, do our actions reveal that belief or do they contradict that belief? Like I said, this in no way is is a condemnation. The reality of, of this festival is one of joy and celebration. And as Jesus stands up in that moment, it is not to bring condemnation or to, or to, or to bring a guilt trip. In fact, it's the very, relation of, the, the very revelation of all that we need of life itself. And if we find things in our heart that, that, that tend towards feeling condemned or, 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 or guilt-ridden, uh, they're, they're things that he wants to write in our heart. It's things that, 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 are, that are perhaps wrong in us, not, not things that, that we need to um, feel condemned about, but realize that these are the very things that Jesus is calling us into, the freedom that he's offering us out of these spaces. It's as we stand in the light of who Jesus is that things are revealed to us in the light of what they should be, of, of the very thing that we should be expectant that he will bring about finally in us, the perfection of us made in his likeness. There's a place here, a very right place for expectation that wells up into joy 
joy in Jesus as we put our faith in him, as we align our actions with our belief in him that he is the one who is the very source of water, the very thing that we need to quench our thirst. Jesus presents himself as the water of life, the source of eternal life. His glorification, which which ends up uh, happening with him on the cross is the light to us of our heavenly father that even while we were against him, he has not forsaken us. And he's continued to work for this very purpose, continuing to set himself in front of us for this very purpose. He is the one who has always been for us, even when we were against him. He shines the light of his son on us to quench our thirst, not to condemn us. And it's as we put our faith in him, as we come to him, as we look to him, walking only according to the light of who he is, bringing everything to him, we will find that streams of living water do indeed belong to him. And he is giving that very reality to us in his spirit. There is an expectation and a joy for us as we see Jesus to move towards him, to come to him, to know the very thirstings of our heart and to to come under his light. So let's pray. Father, thank you that this is your very intention, your very purpose for us is for all things to be made right, for the perfection of our being, for, for, for uh, the fullness that is revealed in Christ in the resurrection, his, his, his knowledge of you, his proximity to you, his understanding of your provision, his understanding of your very person being all that he needs. This is the very reality that you have come for, for us to know that, for us to find that you are the source of every spring of water, of every joy, of every source of eternal life. You are the only source. We need you. We, we have a sense of that. There are places that, that, that we feel like that, that, that perhaps we're, 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 we're experiencing um, false springs, springs, springs that don't well up to eternal life, springs that don't satisfy us in our innermost being, that don't create an expectation for further fulfillment and joy that you are who you say you are and that we are who you say we are. And so we pray for your very presence. Now as we've, as we've, as we sought actually to, to, to set our eyes on you for your very presence to shine a light on us and for us to know the joy that you long for us to have in you to see that all of who you are, you are inviting us into and it is pure life and joy. 
And so we come to you now to fix our eyes on you. Speak to us. Call out those deep places of longing, those deep places of thirst and meet us and provide your very presence. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's stand together. This, this truly is cause for celebration, is cause for joy. This feast is characterized by rejoicing. And so as you, as you worship, Seek to see Christ as He is, calling out. Maybe see Him calling out in this very moment as you worship, saying these very words, crying out, in fact, over all the noise. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. And as the Scripture has said, out of the believer's heart, shall flow rivers of living water. And by this, he meant the Spirit. So let's do that. Let's worship together. starts to break declaring there is hope and there is freedom I speak Jesus cause your name is power your name is healing your name is life break every stronghold shot through the shadows burn like a fire oh I just want to speak the name of Jesus over fear and all anxiety till every soul held captive by depression
Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus, we speak his name. tonight that maybe there are some people here who have come thirsty tonight. You've been drinking from different wells and you've been left left knowing that it hasn't fulfilled, it hasn't met that need. Well, I want to tell you tonight, you can come and you can drink. This is where it finishes in Revelation. It says, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. Let the one who hears, you've heard tonight, the one who hears, come. Let the one who is thirsty, this is Jesus speaking tonight to you. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. It's a free gift. Free gift. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to earn it. You can simply come tonight and drink from the river of living water. And let me tell you, you will not regret it. You will not go away dissatisfied. In fact, rivers of living water will flow from within. I want to pray for us tonight. Lord, we thank you for this incredible, incredible truth. Lord, I know there's some tonight here who are thirsty, either because they've drifted from you and have been looking to other things to fulfill that deep longing of their soul, or maybe some who have never, ever come to drink from the river of the water of life. Well, Lord, you're inviting them to yourself tonight. You're a gracious God. You love us. Open arms, free gift, because you love us, because you went to the cross, Lord, for us. And so, Lord, I pray even now in people's hearts, there'd be a a decision in their hearts now to say, "Less, Jesus, I want to come to you. I want to come, drink from this living water. So, Lord, bless us. May this be true for us this week, I pray. May help us from looking to other things, but just to keep coming to you, we pray, Lord, you're amazing, you're wonderful, you're all that we need. So we worship you now in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Can we put our hands together as we thank our amazing Saviour and our King? Great word for us tonight. You can be seated. If you'd like to be prayed for, you want to talk more about that, do come and see us afterwards. This is the most important thing, the most important truth. 
We'd love to talk to you, give you a Bible pack to help you. If you're online as well watching, make sure you email through. We'd love to share with you more. Do stay around. Enjoy a meal here afterwards and the game will be televised shortly as well. But God bless you. Thanks for coming to share with us.